Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Nicole Goodman. And I'm Lauren Mishkan. Every Tuesday, we trial a different self-care practice and report back to you on the results. And on Friday, we're back in the studio to explore more of the world of wellness with the latest news, interviews, emails from our wonderful listeners and the self-care book club. Welcome back to Self Care Club. Wellness Road Tested, the Epilogue Show. Hi, welcome to Friday's Epilogue Show, where we're taking a deeper dive into this week's practice of the Couch to 5K Challenge. And we're also having our author special with Amity Reed's book, Overdue. I also said we cut, we start, we had very different starting points. Yeah. I said, don't compare yourself to me. I'm not going to compare myself to you. We're coming from very different places. That kind of got your goat back. You're back up as well, didn't you? Yeah, but you sorry. You don't want to be comparing yourself to me. I'm the couch. You're the 5K. (laughs) (laughs) Let me compare my my fitness to Lauren. If you're gonna compare yourself to a couch, may I can I you know, you're like a a high-end quality Italian made bespoke couch I don't okay? want I don't want to be in the DFS sale okay that's all I'm saying <laughs> so how are you feeling since last week Lauren are you still doing couch to 5k like you promised us I I am I have not done very many runs I have only done two um I am still well, let's, finding let's it. start that again let's say I have done two runs okay I have done two runs no, but you see the difference because yeah. It's just a very slight, it makes you feel good about what you've done because you have done two runs. I still find it hard and uh, I still don't like it. How are you feeling? Is it, well, before we get to that, I just want to know, is it still, are you still enjoying the aftermath of it? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you just don't like the process, but you like the reward. What I'm still finding hard is the mental shift between like leaving my house. You yeah, have to but, run and leaving yeah. my house. I agree. I, I find okay. the same. I've only and, done one run. And okay. Oh, I feel I, much better then. <laughs> I really struggled to get out of the house. Um, I really didn't want to go, but I knew I'd feel better after. And I did. I felt great. Um, it, but it hurts. It hurts my foot. It hurts my knee. I'm not a good runner. But mentally, I love it. Doing it, it for you. It really clears my head. Yeah, but it isn't because I'm then hobbling around for the rest of the day. Mm. So it's not mm. great. Okay. Sunday's, Sunday's run ended up being a two hour walk instead of a run because I need, you know what? I needed to spend some time with my husband without the kids and I needed the fresh air. And actually I had to prioritize that over the run. So 5k still feels a very long way off. 
you'll get like well same with my 10k it, it yeah. feels you know and I went out to do another 6k and I didn't I just did the 5k you know I felt disappointed with myself but then I'd sort of slap myself around the face proverbially and um and thought well no I've just done 5k because if I just said to myself four weeks ago you're going to run just walk out the house and run 5k I would have thought there's no way and here I am saying oh but you didn't do 6k so I refuse to beat myself up this is the bit that I love about fitness and staying fit because you can always push further you can always always push further and it just pushes me outside my comfort zone because I'm not really a runner and you can't throw money at staying fit. You can only earn it. And that is the bit that I always love about it because I'm as fit as I am because I've worked at it. You are as fit as you are because you've worked at it and that's it. Yeah. Also, I'm still totally in awe that you didn't even run the 5k. To me, that's like championship Olympic standard. So I think it's great. Thanks. Well, thanks. I think it's great that we're both doing it in our own time and doing it how we want to do it. And I think and I'm halfway. Good. I'm halfway. I'm halfway. So and I'm really proud of you because you, you know, again, four weeks ago, if you'd have said that to yourself, you'd have thought, oh, fuck it, I would have given up by now. But here you are still doing it. So I'm still good doing it. Should we get on to what our listeners yes. had to say? Yes, yes, yes. So I asked on Instagram who's done the 5K and I can't even tell you how many replies I had. Um, It was pretty even. 51% said they had done it and 49% said they hadn't. That is such a mouthful. Um, And then I asked, did you find it hard? Did you find it easy? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Like, how did you find it? I can't can't even tell you how many replies I got. People are really into Couch to 5K. And also because it's so attainable, isn't it? Because it's free and it's quick and people can really grab for it. Some people said, I loved it. Then I hated it. Then I loved it again. Um, Gabrielle said, yes, she's done the 5k. She loved it. Um, Michelle said it was totally doable. Uh, I don't know who, who the, I don't know what her name is, but she said she loved the way that the celeb boys talked you through everything and then encouraged you to keep going. We both said that, yes, didn't we? we? That. Um, yeah. and then someone said that she kept waiting for the running bug to bite, but it didn't. However, okay. she did get into it. She did do it, but she never really loved it. Um, my trainer replied and he said that it's a decent warm up. <laughs> oh, come on, Sadie. Oh, he is something else. He is That's... too much. <laughs> you should go give him a follow because he is very inspirational. Saeed underscore RM underscore on Instagram. He's fantastic. Um, Kelly said she's doing it with her seven year old. It's very straightforward and it builds up each week, which she loves. Um, Nicole said she loved it, but her knee kept hurting. I mean, there was just so many. Someone, Lucy from London said it's great if you've never run before. Karen from London also said she would never been able to run 5k. And I really resonate with this if it had, if she hadn't have followed it. And I feel the same. And she said, but it doesn't ever get any easier. And I think she's right. No, it does not. It doesn't get easier. But that's, we spoke about that, didn't we, during the week? Because you said it doesn't get easier. I said, but it's not going to because you're going to get faster or you're going to get quicker or you're going to run further. There's always room to push yourself. Yeah. Did we have any emails in? Yes. Neil emailed in to say that he has been combining dry January with a 5k run every single day. And at the time of sending, I know. And at the time of sending his email, he was on day 16. I've lost four kilograms as of this morning. My one pack is looking more refined (laughs) and I'm rather pleased with myself. Only 15 more runs to go. Good for Neil. I wonder if he's following our podcast. 
because we I would find it highly him. unlikely. But I think he's he. I think he's a bit of a boozer, from what I understand. So um, he's four k. That is four no, kilograms. That's a lot of weight. That is a lot of weight. It's a lot of me- and that, I just think that's brilliant because both of these practices are so powerful and so necessary, and they're free. That's what I love about yes. it. Free, but not easy. No, but nothing is in life. If you want to get out, you know, you want to get the rewards, then you have to work hard. I'm, I'm a true believer that you have to work hard in life to get the things that you want. You're a grafter, Nicole. There's no doubting it. We both are. So that is our week in full. Thank you for being in touch. Please keep your messages coming in. Tell us your thoughts and experiences on the week's practice and any practices that you would like us to try. You can email us at hello at the selfcareclub.co.uk or find us on Instagram at selfcareclubpod. Wellness News Flash. This week's newsflash, Nicole, comes from shape.com. And it's another one to add to our list of things not to put up your vagina. You've been a bit coy about this newsflash because I found one and I said, oh, I found a newsflash. You were like, no, no, I've got the newsflash for this week. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. Well, here it is in full. Vagina glitter bombs. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, God. There's absolutely nothing wrong with adding a little rainbow and glitter to your life. After all, if Technicolor pixie dust can't make you smile, what can? But in case you're wondering how far the trend would go, we have officially hit the climax. Literally. A company company called Pretty Woman Incorporated is selling a vaginal glitter bomb called Passion Dust. What is its purpose? to give you a sparkly flavoured orgasm. It was an immediate hit, promptly selling out on the company's website. Passion Dust is a sparkalized that's not a word, sparkalized <laughs> sparkalized capsule that's inserted into the vagina at least one hour prior to having sexual intercourse. As the capsule becomes increasingly warmed and moistened by the vaginal fluids, it begins to dissolve, releasing sparkly candy-flavoured passion dust, according to the website. Are you loving this? I'm in shock. (laughs) I'm in shock and I have a lot of visuals going on in my head. So having a Milky Way Galaxy-themed hookup does sound quite fun, but the thought of shoving a glitter pill up your vag seems a little questionable. How big is the... Well, I would guess... I don't know. I haven't seen a visual of it. Are you thinking like a bath bomb size? I I was at first. And then you mentioned the word capsule. And then I was thinking it's got to be bigger than like the size of a Nurofen. Oh my God, that's so true. Otherwise you wouldn't get the full glitter effect, right? But also, what a fucking mess. Do I need glitter all over my fucking sheets? Who says you're in a bed? I've been married a long time. (laughs) okay Uh, now listen yeah i have oh is it not finished it's not quite finished let me tell you the rest and then you can tell me all of your thoughts and feelings 
Uh, there is a doctor, obviously, Angela Jones, MD. She says foreign bodies in the vagina can disrupt its pH and lead to vaginitis or other infections. We know that. We know that already. But the company behind Passion Dust insists their cosmetic-grade glitters and gem powders are non-toxic, and it is a round capsule, decreasing the risk of irritation from sharp edges. There are more harmful glitters, chemicals, and additives in lip gloss or eyeshadow that you use on your face than what's in this product, according to the Passion Dust website. Health risks aside, let's just take a second to think about why these glitter capsules were concocted in the first place. It was to turn your lady parts into a mystical out-of-this-world experience. Specifically, the website explains that the flavour is sweet like candy, but not overly sweet. Just enough to make your lover feel that your yara is what all vaginas are supposed to look, feel and taste like. Sweet and magical. I don't even know where to begin. Aren't we <laughs> supposed to be like normalizing the whole vagina thing? We've spoken about that on this show with all the celebrities getting on the vibrators and, you know, all of those wellness products that are coming out and the orgasm and everyone's talking about it because they're trying to make it normal. And so now we're told that we need to pretty it up basically and make it look mystical and magical. Well, I don't have fucking time to think about what my vagina looks like. And I don't want to. This really irritates me. Second, thirdly, I do yes. not think that that can be good for you. And they, can, they might say that there are less toxins in it than a lip gloss, but I don't stick a lip gloss in my mouth. I stick it don't. on my mouth. So they don't get, these products don't get inserted. That's the third thing. Fourthly, like the mess. I, I can't even bear to think of the mess. You have boys. I have girls. We are now out of the glitter phase, finally. But there was a lot of glitter on a lot of floor for a lot of years. Yes. It goes everywhere. Do I need that in my room? And then my kids come in and say, why is there so much glitter here? Like, how am I going to explain that? Like, it, no. And don't it's even a hard think, no from you. Don't even think of using this as a practice because it's, it's ridiculous and it's a no. Okay. I'm not going to suggest we use it for a practice because I am really not into like trying to give myself infections. <laughs> I would, that's, like not, that's not self-care for me. I would like to say that I don't think that you need to make your vagina glittery for it to be magical. Your vagina can give birth to human life. If that's not fucking magic, I don't know what is. That's my first point. That is a big round of applause, my Thank friend. You. This is why I partner up with you. Right. My second point is, when have you ever seen a product marketed to men to make their genitals more appealing? Is there such a thing as sparkly disco balls? No, there is not. Okay. Is there such a thing like a suppository that men put up their bum to make sperm taste like cupcakes? No, there isn't. So why do we need to put glitter pessaries up our vag? That, those are my thoughts. I mean, we're moving into a different discussion, but doesn't that, isn't that all in line with we're the ones that have to take the birth control? You know, men could do that too. I'm sure there is a way that men could take a pill every day so that they don't, their semen doesn't impregnate us. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's so always on the woman to make things magical and mystical. Well, fuck that. Fuck that. Perhaps the men could do it for it. I don't even need my husband to make it magical and mystical. We love each other. That's enough. I don't need glitter anywhere. It's a fucking no. And it just pisses me off because it feeds into this whole discussion about vaginas not being misunderstood and I feel like for God's sake it's old and this feeds into it and I don't like it. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> but it was a great news flash. 
Thanks. This episode is sponsored by Horizon Studios. If you're traveling this year and looking for high quality, sustainable and beautifully designed luggage, then look no further than Horizon Studios, who've launched two new ranges. The RE series, the world's most sustainable 97% recycled luggage, and now the revolutionary Air series, the world's lightest high-end suitcase. If you have airport anxiety, worrying about the weight of your case when it goes on those scales, then the Air Series is for you and it is definitely for me. The Air Series pushes the boundaries of travel. Each detail is designed and engineered to combine an ultralight and durable product. It's significantly lighter than regular suitcases. Thank goodness, Lauren, that is brilliant. And it comes with a lifetime warranty because the most sustainable suitcase is the one that you only buy once. We used the cases to go to Paris and Wales last year, and as chronic overpackers, we could still wheel them around with ease. We could. Ultra light and compact, the Air Series is made from a premium polycarbonate hard shell with reduced thickness and a recycled lining. It's 100% vegan and produced in a way that is 99% waste-free, blending design and function seamlessly. So, Nicole, you can pack those extra five pairs of shoes with no stress. The entire range is available on the Horizon Studios website and in all leading department stores. Just go to www.horizon-studios.com. Horizon Studios. Let's go further. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This week at Sukarnov. Me and Luke have been whiling away the lockdown with our usual nonsense on the Luke and Pete show. Here's a quick taste of the kind of challenges we've been setting for ourselves. Give us any nation and I'll tell you yeah. why they're dirty. All right, I'll do it now. Um, right. uh, Italy. Italy, yeah. it looks like a sexy boot. <laughs> yeah. There's also a brand new episode of On the Continent, your weekly guide to the sublime and frequently ridiculous in European football. Find it over on Football Ramble Presents every Thursday. Neymar's responded to this in kind, that they forgot to tell you um, how to win titles. Then Alvaro has responded with a picture of Pelé with three World Cups going <laughs> in the eternal shadow of the king. This reminds me of Stormzy and Wiley. The sports that they have. All that and a whole lot more at Sukarnov. And now, on to this week's book club. It's the book club. This week's book club is our very first author's special. We've been reading the book Overdue by Amity Reid this month, and we're absolutely delighted to welcome her onto the show to have a discussion all about her book, her life and self-care. For Amity Reid, becoming a midwife was to fulfill a passionate desire to serve women, to use her clinical and supportive skills to care for pregnant women and new mothers with kindness and compassion. But... The reality of working in overstretched and underfunded NHS maternity services soon shattered her illusions with devastating personal consequences. Your novel, Overdue, it made me laugh, it made me cry. Um, 
it feels a little bit crass to be summing up your novel in front of you while you're sitting here. So would you please just give our listeners um, an idea of what Overdue is about? Yeah, of course. So it's essentially the story of how I decided to become a midwife. So it's my journey into midwifery. Um, I was a doula first, so I was already supporting women, supporting births, um, and was quite happy doing that. And then suddenly had the mad idea that I needed to become a midwife. So it's the story of how I decided I needed to do midwifery. Um, and then my journey through that both personally and professionally and the impact of working within that system, uh, and what it did to me again, both professionally and personally by the time I decided that I needed to leave. Um, you know, it's got lots of lovely birth stories. It's both the positive and the negative and, it's, it's even more, I would say, than just about birth or about just about midwifery or the NHS. It's about what being in these massive systems with, where bureaucracy and, so, and sort of the way things are done, how it affects the people that work in that system when you feel like a number and not a person. I mean, as a birth worker, obviously, it was particularly interesting to me. I loved all the birthy bits. But I think what was so brilliant about it was that it felt very accessible so even, yeah, because Nicole obviously is not a doula or a midwife, but I think I know that she was really involved. I was very moved by so many parts of the book and especially um, your coping mechanisms. There was one part where you very vulnerably told the story of when you lost your sister and how that then informed you as a person and how that then informed you as a woman. And there was one paragraph, if I may read it out to you, um, which I was just sobbing. And it said, I decided never to be a burden on my parents or anyone. I would be strong and healthy and never get sick. I would not only be invincible, I would be unbreakable. When I covered my eyes to block the sun, so too did I cover my heart in armor. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful and powerful and poignant. And is that something that you carry with you till today? Well, the, the thing about writing Overdue and my decision to leave the NHS is that, that that had to be part of the story because I realized that the reason I wasn't putting my own needs first and that I was denying the fact that I was not doing well and was trying to just soldier on and, and put a smile on my face and keep going was because of that childhood experience and that I'd always prided myself on being this like super strong person who never got ill, never had any mental health issues. You know, I just could take everything the world threw at me. And I was very proud of that. And it wasn't until I started to become unwell and started to unpick why I was putting myself dead last that I had to trace that back, you know, where did that start? And it was from that experience of feeling like I needed to never admit anything other than complete strength. Um, so it was really a, both the journey through midwifery and, and out of it, but also that personal journey for me. And it was what I needed to get to, to actually finally say, it's not weak to, to admit that you need help with something or to be unwell. It's not a weakness. It's something that you need support with. And that is just part of most people's lives at some point or another, most people will go through a period like this. I think that's the one thing that women struggle with most. And of course, men also, but the women that I coach and the women that I've worked with all my adult life, it's the one thing we all have in common, not being able 
to ask for help. How, how did you work through that? How did you find yourself in a position where you had to ask for help? And how was that for you? I had been increasingly, I, I was in denial for a long time. And my friends saw it before me and my husband saw it before me. And they kept saying, you seem quite unhappy. You seem very stressed, you know, coming home from a shift and literally being like putting my hand on my husband's face and going, don't talk to me until tomorrow because I'm so stressed out. Yeah. They all saw it before me, but I was in denial. You know, I kept saying, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that it's really hard when I'm there. But then when it started affecting my days off, I think that's when I started realizing that it was becoming a problem because before when I thought it's just at the end of a long day, everyone's tired at the end of a long day and feels stressed. But as long as I can unwind and be okay the next morning, then it's fine. But when it started affecting even my days off and I started dreading the next shift or already thinking, oh gosh, you know, I've got nights this week. I'm going to be absolutely hopeless on this day. I'm not going to be able to help my children with their homework. And I started getting really anxious about it. Um, but it wasn't really until as I outlined in the book, there's a part where I talk about, I was driving to work one day, just listening to the radio, stuck in traffic as normal. And I literally just all of a sudden had what I guess was almost like a panic attack out of nowhere and just thought, I I cannot go there. I can't go there. And I just, I was crying so hard that I couldn't see the road. And I just turned off into a park, my favorite park. I happened to be right near it in traffic and just sat there in the car. And I just remember phoning my friend and going, I don't know what to do because I can't move. I can't go to work. I cannot make myself go. And she just said, you need to go to the GP. And I went and that was the first time I realized I need some help. And that's when I got into therapy. But even then it took another sort of five or six months of me get, actually getting worse before I then started to get better. I think like the, the most shocking thing for me in this book is that you go into midwifery with, you, you're such a healthy, together, capable woman and you're going into it with all this ambition, like I'm going to be the one to change the system from the inside. It's not going to grind me down. And then within three years, you are broken and exhausted and your mental health declines to such a point that you're in crisis. And I wanted to know how did it feel to relive that writing the book? It was hard. And it was one of the things I had to think about was because I was offered the opportunity to initially publish this book anonymously. But because I actually originally started writing it um, when I was still working for the NHS. Um, And it wasn't until after I left that I obviously wrote what happened after that led up to me leaving. And I thought, I thought about it long and hard because I did think this is going to be, it's quite scary to think about putting so much of yourself out there, not only from my past, but what had happened and mental health wise. But I just thought there's so much stigma still around mental health, especially with healthcare professionals, because I started seeing when I went off sick, I, I got so many messages from my colleagues, from other midwives who were saying, I'm feeling the same. I am at the end of my tether. I'm hanging on by my fingernails. Um, And at the same time, I was off sick for the first time with stress and anxiety. Uh, Three of my colleagues were off at the same time. So we were all supporting each other and trying to get through it. And I just thought, we need to talk about this more. It was so secretive. And when when somebody was off sick, we'd say, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And it was just, oh, they're off sick. And there'd be a sideways glance. And we'd know what it was about but nobody talked about it. And then when you came back, everybody tiptoed around you for a week or so. And then you were just thrown straight back in the deep end because there was no choice. So I decided it's really important that I'm just completely honest and 
put my name to this and say, this is something we need to talk about. Especially now. I mean, it's so timely, this book now, because mm. there must be millions of unbelievably stressed and overburdened NHS yeah. workers. So I think it's great it's out there. And it, it's so brave of you. Can I just yeah. acknowledge you for a minute? Because to do to step outside of something that is so normalized in your system, but is obviously so wrong and so broken. It's to be that voice and to step outside of that and say, actually, we need to change this and this needs to be fixed is incredibly courageous. So I, I acknowledge you for that. Oh, thank you. What did it take to do that, to step outside and, and step into that brave decision to write this book? Really, it was the the thing that really made me want to tell the story was the, like I said, the messages I kept getting when I went off sick the first time. And then when I left the NHS, obviously a lot of my colleagues knew why I'd left. Yeah. And I just started getting messages constantly from people saying, I feel the same way. Yeah. You know, I'd even like a couple of like Facebook posts about it. Um, and people were contacting me who like read it because their friend shared it. And I was getting messages from people I didn't even know. Um, and even doctors, I had a couple of doctors contact me and say, I feel the same way this is going on amongst doctors too. And none of us are talking about it. Um, so that's really what, drove me to say, we've got to, we've got to break out of this. And it was, I mean, I must admit it was easier to do once I'd left. Yep. Um, yes. I mean, I had planned on, I'd already started writing the book when I was still in it. So I was still going to publish it with my name on it, but it did give me a certain sense of freedom to say whatever I wanted that I think a lot of people that still are in the NHS are a bit more constrained about being able to speak out sure. as frankly as I was able to, because I had left. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself from reaching a point of I, I'm going to call it a mental health crisis because that's what it was. Yeah. But now you're on the other side of that. What have you learned about yourself? I've learned that I'm not, um, that the word strong is not necessarily a good thing hmm. because I used to pride myself on this. You know, people would even call me that if, if you ask people to describe me in three words or something, a lot of the times one of the words was strong. And I used to be really take pride in that. And now not that it's bad to be strong, but I think what we define as strong, putting on that brave face and carrying on and putting others needs, especially as women and as mothers, yes. that we are, that that is actually considered good. It's considered good to put others needs before others needs before your own and to not look after yourself. And it's almost like a, a competition for martyrdom. Yes. And I've learned that it's not, and it's actually worse for my children to see me putting my own needs last and being extremely unhappy or just uncared for and miserable than to see me take care of myself. And I did have to say to them when I was unwell and I was spending a lot of time in my room and I couldn't really, you know, look after them. And my husband was having to do everything. I would just say, I'm unwell. Just like if I'd broken my ankle, I need yeah. time to heal and I need a lot of time alone. And I still want your hugs and your love and I'm still your mom. But right now I need to look after me. And they understood that. And, and they, you know, in the end, they were proud of that. Yeah. And I think also by your children seeing you look after yourself and grow and heal, it gives them the permission to do that in their life when they're going to need to. So you role modeled something very necessary and very beautiful. And I was really proud when um, my daughter came to me during the, the first lockdown when she was at home, you know, for six months and said, you know, she felt able to come to us and said, I'm not really feeling very happy I'm really anxious about everything all the time. Can I talk to someone about it? And I was so proud that she came to us because we've been very open about getting help when you don't, when you feel overwhelmed and about talking about these things. So that was a really proud moment for me that made me think this has all been worth it because being open and honest enabled her to come to me and say, I need to talk to somebody. 
Yeah. Beautiful. What does self-care look like for you, Amity, now? Yeah, it's beyond the things that we often talk about. Um, you know, I do walking is my number one. Walking got me through that period, hands down. The the draw to return to nature was really strong because that's where I grew up. You know, I grew up out in the, you know on a farm essentially in a very rural area, and I think in all the years of that trauma building up, I had really stopped walking. Almost like cutting myself off from nature was my way of not dealing with the past or my problems. And so when I started, when I accepted that I needed to heal and that I needed to look after myself more, I was immediately drawn to getting back out in nature and walking. And that was my savior. I was going for walks once, even twice a day, like hour long walks when I was really unwell. And if it wasn't for those, I don't know what I would have done. Do you still use your walking now? Absolutely. When I'm feeling really down, I even said, have said to my couple of closest friends and my husband, if I have not been on a walk in more than two days and I'm feeling, and you can tell I'm in a, in a slump, you have to force me out and just force me out the door onto a walk because yeah. I always come back feeling better. You never feel worse when you get back. Ever. No, no. That's true. Yeah. What, what would your advice be to other women who feel they're not coping? Talk about it. Talk about it with whoever you trust. Don't be afraid that it will make you be weak or that it means you're not capable or that it means that you're not um, able to fulfill your responsibilities. Um, Seeking help, you know, beyond talking about it, if it feels like that's necessary. And it can feel scary, you know, having to go to my GP and say, I'm really depressed and I need help was really scary. And having to go to the hospital and even say that was really scary, but yeah, I genuinely think that to- any problem that's talked about is it's a shared problem. Then you're not doing it alone because when you're trying to do things alone, that's the scariest, worst bit of it. So talking about it, seeking help. There's so many avenues out there for you know. There's resources online. There are so many things. There's helplines you can ring if you don't have anyone close to you. You feel like you can talk to. There's so many resources out there now, and I do hope that we're you know I think we are taking mental health more and more seriously. And I think it's going to get even better going forward. And if you're in a very stressful job, because a lot of people are, especially if you're in the NHS right now, what would be a couple of tips that you would suggest to them to try and stay mentally healthy and sane and well in that job? To utilize their time off as efficiently as possible and that not thinking about work, not checking emails, really taking that time off to really look after yourself and doing whatever it is that self-care means to you. So if it's, you know, whatever that is, if it's walking, bath, you know, gardening, hanging out with your friends, writing, whatever it is, do that thing. And if you are finding that your job is affecting your, your family life, your mood, your social life, your, your, your own mental well-being, then you have to address it straight away because it's not enough you know, if self-care is not doing it and you, and you're still feeling really down and stressed and and it's your job that's causing it, no job is worth it. No job is worth your mental health, your physical health, because your mental health affects your physical health as well. Um, you have to go to those people who are in a position to be able to change things and say, look, this is what this is doing to me. What are you going to do to help address this? Because it's equally your employer's responsibility to ensure that they have a healthy workforce. Amity, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for lending us your book. Thank you for sharing your heart and soul with us. I think it's a beautiful read and a very brave read, and I salute you. Thank you very much. Now, 
What are you doing for your self-care this week, Lauren? And how have you been feeling? Okay. One, I have started drinking alcohol again and I feel fucking great. How good. So much better. So much good. happier. Good. Then that is part of self-care. I feel like Ruri's going to scream at us, but that is part of self-care. I know. I know. Okay. Have, have you had a drink? I have had a drink. I had a drink on Saturday night um, and it was fine. I... Yeah, I've been quite anxious since. I'm sure it wasn't the two gin and tonics I had, but it definitely, it doesn't serve me. We know that. Um, I'd had a really difficult day with the kids and mm. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I just had to. I broke, Ruri, I broke. I don't feel I broke. I felt like I did 15 days. I really did them. I have learned my relationship with alcohol and I'm happy to move forward with alcohol in moderation. So I'm feeling good about that. Um, I've also followed a new Instagram account, which you may like, Nicole. It's called at good news underscore movement. And it is the perfect account to follow right now. It only posts good news daily from around the world. Oh, so that sounds that's lovely. It's lovely. very nice. And I'm still watching TV. And I feel totally vindicated because I actually found a scientific report about the benefits of um, trash TV. Oh, come on. Tell us. Right. Comedy films and sitcoms are what are called event-free television. So essentially, it's TV you can watch without worrying about stress or anxiety because not much happens. It's gentle escapism and even better if it makes you laugh because it releases endorphins, which are essential for combating the negative effect that the news can have on us. And sitting around together watching TV enables us to connect in a relaxed way with our family, says Dr. Sarah Davies, a chartered psychologist. Sharing an activity like watching a show together can absorb our focus and bring us into a state of flow where we are engaged in the moment and present for a short, valuable time away from worries. And the show I'm choosing to share with my little one at the moment is Junior Bake Off, five o'clock every afternoon. Glorious. Oh, how lovely. Uh, we are watching Glee together, all of us, all four of us. And that's also pretty damn lovely and yes. happy and jolly and great fun. show. It's a great, great show. show. What else um, are you doing for yourself? I, I have been feeling awful, 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 awful this week. I'm mentally all over the place. I really have not been myself. Um, I'm finding this lockdown very mentally challenging. And I, I don't really know why, but I just am. So I'm just trying to go with it rather than make myself feel bad about it. Um, you know, nothing specific has happened to me, but I just have been really struggling mentally mm. to keep my anxiety uh, lowered and to keep my feelings of overwhelm stable. Yeah. So I've been doing anything I can. I've been running, I've been meditating. Um, I've been taking time for myself. I've been watching TV. Um, nothing's massively taking the edge off. I have to say nothing really. And I wish I could say it. I felt a bit better, mm. but I don't. Um, you know, we were watching a show together on Netflix, me and my husband, and I just, I were into the second season and I wasn't enjoying it. And I just stood up and I said, no, I'm not watching this. I don't care about the characters. I don't like her. I don't like her. I don't care if she dies. Like I'm done. <laughs> and he was like, blimey. I was like, you know what? I don't have time or space in my head to worry about people that I don't care about. So no, they're gone from no. my life. And that no. felt great, actually. Um, I did have a conversation with one of my best friends and I told her how I was feeling. And I said to her, I was giving myself a really hard time. And I said to her, nothing's really happened. I don't really feel validated to feel this way. And she just 
she gave me a a mental hug because she can't actually give me a hug um and she put it all into perspective for me and that was very beautiful so i think that was the most helpful thing i've had this week yeah. was a conversation with my friend i think you have every reason to be feeling anxious and not great we're still in the sh- eye of the shit storm and january's hard and long and the days are dark and i think most people are struggling right now i think it's absolutely normal to feel like that and to also accept that it's normal to feel like that right now and, and i think that's what i've done for the majority of the week i've just trying to accept yeah that this is how i feel rather than going right i can't feel like this i've got to do something i've got to fix it i've got to go for i've got to uh, that noise i can't deal with it so i'm just like okay so this is how i feel today and that has to be okay just for today and i'm hoping that you feel a bit better next week thank you Shall we talk about what we've got coming up on next week's show, Lauren? Yes, let's. So we are going to be doing intuitive eating. Now, if you haven't heard of intuitive eating, it's about trusting your inner body wisdom to make choices around food that feel good in your body without judgment and without influence from diet culture. We are all born with the skill to eat, to stop when we are full, to eat when we are hungry, and to eat satisfying foods. But as we grow up, that changes for many reasons. And many of us lose that freedom because of diet culture and bad, toxic messaging. So intuitive eating is about learning to reclaim how you eat. It's a very beautiful practice. And when we filter out the noise and influence that diet culture presents to us as false truths, we can then truly listen to what our body wants and needs from food. So that is next week's show. How are you Thank feeling you. about next week's show? Totally fine. Yeah? Yeah. Looking forward to it. I mean, I don't feel it's going to be much of a stretch for me, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do here and you want to be part of the club, please follow us on our social at Self Care Club Pod and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really does help us out. It really if you does. Went- it really does. If you end up trying any of the practices we do on the show or have something you like to say, please get in touch. We adore hearing from you. You can send us an email at hello at theselfcareclub.co.uk and you may even end up being featured on our show. Speak to you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 